I'm going to share today about uh, faith that wins or receives. Really, uh, we've been talking about growing up spiritually, and if you read in uh, Hebrews, the sixth chapter, he tells you ingredients that help a person to grow up spiritually, and that, and he talks about repentance from dead works helps a person to grow, and another thing he says in there right after is developing or walking in our faith toward God, and when I first gave my life to the Lord, I thought faith was faith, and there was no difference. I mean, you know, just it, it was just faith, you know, either you had it or you didn't have it. And anybody out there could say, I have faith, because haven't you run into people who are like, well, I got all kinds of faith and, and everybody's got this faith. But we do know this, just like cars, there are dramatic differences in cars. Anybody notice that? You know, you, you see a car out there, and like I've seen some not even driven on trailers, and you look it up, and you're like, that car costs a million dollars. No wonder they're putting it on a trailer. I think they should drive it, but that's a different program. But why, well, why? Why does that cost a million dollars? Why does a, a car, can, can a car cost two or three million dollars? Uh, is it that much? Di is there a difference in cars? It, there are differences in cars, and uh, there is differences, you know, of faith in the Bible. When we talk about faith, most people, when they think of faith, they think of, I believe in the Lord, and that is true, but there's so much more to faith. Jesus said if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, real small, you could uh, move a mountain. He said we could use our faith and resist the devil and he would flee. He said faith would overcome the world and any opposition. So when we think of faith from a Bible standpoint, Jesus often did this when he would meet people that had problems in life. And, and it would do us good to just go back to the Word of God and look at Matthew, look at Mark, not this morning, but in our own time, Luke and John, and just see the encounters Jesus had with people and why the majority of people that have individual accounts, not, not in a mass because there's not detail often when a mass of people were healed, but in individual accounts, the majority of the time, almost three-quarters of the time, when Jesus interacted with somebody personally, he said, do you believe? Or your faith made you whole? Or, you know, and he talked to them often about their own confidence, which is faith, and he would talk to them, and if they ever like messed up and were getting results and then didn't get results, he would deal with this area of faith. And he did it with Peter, he, you know, one of his followers. He did it with, you know, individuals. He did it with crowds of people. One time he tried to help a group of people get healed and it said he couldn't do it. Not he wouldn't, he couldn't in Matthew 12 and in Mark 6. And, and so he, 
he, he marveled, it said, at their unbelief. But he attempted. So what that tells me is God can be attempting to do things in people's lives. Because some people think, well, if it's God, it will happen. But how many times is God attempting to do something in somebody's life? And it doesn't just automatically happen. Well, then if it just doesn't automatically happen, what, is there a part I can play? Is God attempting to do things today? Yes. Is He attempting to do things all over the world? Yes, He is attempting, but does it always automatically happen? And the answer to that would be no. But is God endeavoring? Has he given us the equation? Because you think about it, you can look in the Bible and see where the power of the Lord was present. In Luke's Gospel, the fifth chapter, there was a whole house of people there. I mean, it was packed. It was so crowded, nobody could come in. They couldn't get in. And it said the power of the Lord was there to heal them. That means... If the power was there to do something, God was attempting to do something. Wouldn't you think? I mean, if the power of, if the Bible said the power of the Lord was there to heal them, now you got to understand, English is not my best language. Well, I should say it like this, it is my best language, because I don't know any other languages, so to speak but I'm not the best at it, but I would know this, that if it said the power of the Lord was present to heal them, then it would be more than one. Right? How many of them, well, we would not be thinking single, we would be thinking more than one, so if the power of the Lord was present to heal them, then His power was there. I mean, I don't know if, if it was like our praise and worship, or, you know, where you're singing and you're like, wow, the power of the Lord, I sense something happen. Or you're, you know, you're praying and you sense God moving. But in a setting like that, it said it was present. Luke acknowledged that in his writing. He, maybe he was so familiar with the presence of the Lord at different times, being one that traveled around with Jesus or hearing these things, or maybe it was passed on by one of the disciples when he wrote it and said, listen, the power of the Lord was there to heal them. Them. And that's important. Somebody might think, well, why? Because none of them got healed. None of them. Later on, as Jesus is there, and like I said, could the power of God be present and just need to have a connection made somehow? And then later on, a guy shows up who's crippled uh, that couldn't walk and he's carried by four people, they couldn't get into the house. Then they 
got up on the roof. I don't know how they did it with this guy on this stretcher. And then they tore the tiling off the roof and, and then they lowered him down right in front of Jesus. And Jesus, the Bible says this, saw their faith. And so he saw the cripple man and saw the others and saw they had faith. They were acting in such a way they came to get something and they were going to get it. But if you read, the power was there to heal those people that were there before that guy ever came. So if God's power automatically does things, then um, it would have automatically just started happening like popcorn. Just healing, 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 healing. But it didn't happen to any of them. And if you go read the story, you can start seeing why. In other words, God was attempting to do something. How often does God attempt to do things in a believer's life? He'll prompt them. He'll deal with them. And he's doing these things for our good. And sometimes people will wrestle with it and go, well, you know, I don't know about that. But maybe that power... Because, you know, power can be released in a voice. Power can be released in, 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 in a dealing. Right? You can go to an intersection and a policeman uh, can release authority by just holding up his hand and you can go, no, I'm not doing that. Maybe it's because there's a bridge washed out. He can't tell me what to do. And he hadn't even told you anything, but he's releasing authority. Right? Because sometimes the Lord doesn't even say anything to us. He deals with us and we know, and he'll deal with us move forward or stop or whatever. He's releasing authority. There's something behind it. And sometimes those things seem so insignificant, but they're huge. And so we see that God attempts to do things. Faith is a factor that we apply. What does that mean? Trust. A proper response of trust. You know, there used to be a song they used to sing. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. And on it goes. And so, but there is no other way when it comes to God but trusting and obeying. And trusting and obeying, there can be conflicts sometimes. There can be enemies to trusting. Because if trusting and obeying is a thing that produces a positive Godward uh, result, and the enemy hates people's guts, he's going to throw thoughts, ideas, suggestions, why you shouldn't obey, why you shouldn't do this, why you shouldn't go down that path, well, it's not working because you haven't seen it yet, whatever it is. 
Why? Because He knows if you will trust, if you will obey, you're going to end up with something really good from God. Amen? You know, remember the, the children of Israel, God said, I'm going to bring you up with a strong hand. So God started endeavoring to do stuff. And He was coming against Pharaoh. And one day, uh, Pharaoh could have relieved himself of some of his problems, all of his problems for that matter, if he would have just responded. They said no. And there were times where he said, well, we'll get, this will disappear from your life if you will obey. And he's like, no. And then he spent another day, so to speak, with this problem. Then finally he went, okay, I'll do it. Notice all it took was some human cooperation. And some people think, well, that's such a small thing. But big doors swing on small hinges. I mean big, thick doors all swing on hinges. And obedience is that hinge that things swing on. I remember one time in Southern California, there was this, it used to be called Ocean Trails. I, uh, golf course, when it was being built, I was there and they had this huge opening. I mean, it was big. And I thought, wow, this is going to be a front door. And they uh, had this big opening, and this thing overlooked the ocean. I thought, this is going to be really cool. And then one day they came with this big truck and a crane, and uh, they took these doors off, and these doors were thick. And they were over 2,000 years old. They were doors from uh, somewhere in Asia where they used to train elephants, and elephants used to walk through, so these big rusty metal spikes. But, you know, those doors were huge, and the hinges didn't look like they would work. They're 2,000 years old, but they worked. Actually, over 2,000 years old, because that was what was amazing to me. I was like, wow, these doors were around. People were using them when the Lord was on the earth, but somewhere else in the world. And what was so wild was this big door was on these hinges that I thought, wow, they, those, those work. And I don't mean it was small. They put those spikes on there so the elephant wouldn't push open the door. And what was cool was there was another little door, real short, in that door that had some more hinges. So the trainer could crawl in there. Closed the door behind him. They had these spikes all over it. But they all worked off of hinges. And you know, our walk with God works off the hinges of obedience. And the obedience of trust. And big doors and small doors open the same way. A passageway to something. And so, faith is that passageway. And faith... In having faith is really uh, a miracle in itself, but it's very natural. In other words, when I say natural, it, it simplistic. How many? Well, I shouldn't say how many, because this verse everybody knows pretty much. Whether you read the Bible, most people know John three sixteen. More people today probably know John two one through eleven. Somebody's like, I don't. Wait till I tell you. Jesus turned the water into wine. See, I knew people knew that. You know. 
a lot of people don't know a lot of verses, but they know Jesus turned the water into wine. You with me? And, and, and what we need to realize is greater than the water into wine is the principle here. The principle here was this. Jesus gave a command. He said, take these water pots, these clay water pots. You know, people are vessels of clay. We were made of the dirt of the earth. And then God breathed into us the breath of life. And he said, take these clay pots and fill them all the way to the top. Now, those people could have obeyed or they could have gone, man, three quarters. Because it wasn't like today where you're like, okay, no problem. Where's the garden hose? Some people are totally confused right now. They didn't have garden hoses. They had to go to the well or somewhere and draw water with buckets and walk back. And these things got gallons and gallons and gallons. And there's six of them. It's interesting that this could be a picture of something else because the number of man is, the, is six. But he said, take these water pots, fill these big clay water pots with water, not three-quarters of the way, fully obey me, fill them to the top. So they filled them and filled them and filled them and filled them with water. He said, after you have filled them, not three-quarters of the way, not halfway when you have fully obeyed, he said, then draw out. And when you draw out, or he didn't tell them exactly what happened, he just said, do it, then draw out. And when they drew out of those overflowing pots, what was in there, I don't know if it happened in the pot. I don't know if you could have looked in there and if it was still water. Because it doesn't explain. But when they drew it out, it was wine. So I don't know if it all turned to wine or just every time they drew it out. But water turned to wine. But there's a progression Take and fill this. Once it's full, draw it out, and something will come out of there that if applied to an individual, it will begin to alter them. Anybody know that? You know, we have laws for the safety of individuals and the safety of others. Because we know that not water turned to wine, but wine or beer can alter a person and do bodily harm to them when they're driving. So we have these laws to protect people against, I guess, against themselves and to help others, to protect others. Because we know that alcohol alters. You with me? What if the Lord said... Fill yourself, you earthen vessel, with the Word of God. Fill yourself to overflowing with the Word of God. Then draw out. And when you draw out, that Word will turn to the power of faith. Didn't he say, a good man out of the good treasure that's in his heart will bring forth good things? And didn't he or the Bible say, you know, in Psalm 119.11, it said, David 
you know, the writer there said, I have hid your word in my heart. What would happen if somebody fully obeyed and started hiding the word in their heart? Could they have a miracle, it, you know, but it's just the word of God. Yeah, and that was just water going in. Water went in. But later on, when it was drawn out, it turned into something else. And when you put the Word of God in you, or I put the Word of God in me, then, and not just a little, he, we need to fill our hearts with the Word of God. Hide the Word of God there, and then he said, draw it out. Why would you hide the Word? Because the Bible said, faith comes... By hearing the Word of God. But understand this. Faith can be applied differently. He told us go tell people Jesus died and rose again. So those people could have faith to receive Him and be saved. But there are different areas we need faith in. So we need different avenues of truth. You know, we talked about this the other day at prayer. How that sometimes uh, people have heard so much wrong that sometimes we need truth to undo lies. Are you with me? Maybe we heard scriptures that say, by his stripes you were healed, but somewhere in the background is plain, you know, what about God did this? so he might show his glory. We went over that. How that the only time God's glory was seen with that guy who was blind was when he was healed. And we went through and explained and looked clearly. And we went through different scriptures in the Bible, like Paul's thorn. Because people think, well, you know, Paul had this thorn in the flesh. And and, uh, and therefore, he had an eye problem. But we read the scriptures, and it never said he had an eye problem. We went through scriptures where Paul was bitten by a serpent, and he just shook it off. And then we went through and read all the verses, or briefly went through them and explained that what was called a thorn, he said, a messenger of Satan, people said, well, maybe it's to make me sick. It was to make him sick. But the Old Testament tells us every time that the term messenger or thorn in the flesh, thorn in the side, is always somebody harassing somebody, coming against them. We went through those verses, and we went through other things. Why would you do that? Because people's faith will give them victory. And sometimes... There are lies that play in the background. Are you with me? And the world throws them out. Oh, you're just so full of hate. Because you don't believe in this. No, 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 wait a minute. Don't define me as hate. Because I don't like something. So does that mean anybody who doesn't like something that you like has hate in them? What if you like putting water in your gas tank and I say, that's wrong. You, you hate. No, I help. 
Let's keep it simple. I help. That was not created that way. Just leave me alone. You're hurting me. Um, you probably should have been hurt a long time ago and got over it because that water is going to hurt your tank. It doesn't mean somebody hates. Actually could just very well mean somebody cares and doesn't want to see you go through a problem. Amen. Maybe somebody cares. And maybe we care about others, and therefore what you're doing is not just going to affect you, affect others. At least watch out for them then. But if faith comes when we hear, and faith is just being confident in what God has said, then we need to know this, there are enemies to faith. And there are lies that will be out there that will try to make people not stand in faith. Turn to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Peter lived with the Lord for three over three years, meaning he was one of the traveling apostles, you know, that, that walked with him, that saw miracles, saw people healed, saw supernatural provision, saw people who, whose minds were messed up. People, he, he heard Jesus give sermons about how to no longer worry. You know, Jesus... Spent time teaching about that? How to not worry? You know, Jesus spent time and taught people how to not fear? Jesus spent time and taught people all kinds of things. Peter was there. Peter heard these messages. Peter transferred these same principles to others. And he wrote them down. I would think this, if you had been around the Lord, you would pick some things up. Where, you know, have you ever been around somebody and you knew them and then somebody else talked about that person and you're like, that's not true about them. They're, they're not like that at all. But others are accusing them. There are a lot of accusations. We should be careful where we're hearing things from. Who we're hearing them from. How well do they know? What they say they know. How many people hear things and it shakes them? And it harms them because they're hearing something from somebody who's not qualified. Let me just change that. They might be disqualified. You know, that term is used in the Bible, they're disqualified concerning the faith. Could you imagine somebody telling you, healing is not for today? They, that person is not qualified to speak. What if you read through the Bible 
and found from the beginning to the end, there were scriptures that say, if you serve the Lord, He'll bless your bread and water, take sickness away from the midst of you. He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. He put a brazen serpent on a pole that if you would stare and it would be an image of Jesus, you could be made whole. If He told His disciples, lay hands on the sick and they would recover. That He took infirmities and bore sicknesses when He took stripes in His own body. How he did that. There are three different references to that same verse. What if it was uh, that God's power was on Jesus not to preach, but the Bible said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. How, how about verses that say, if you saw Jesus, so you saw God's will in action. And if somebody says, well, we don't believe that healing is God's will, then shame on you for giving somebody an aspirin. You foul thing trying to get somebody out of the will of God. Somebody says, well, that, that's stupid. Why? Because if it's not His will to, that you be whole then why do anything about it? Just let God's will take its course. No, we know that sickness is evil. How many people have ever had the flu and just said, praise the Lord. That's so good. Can't wait to get to heaven where this will just really get me. I don't know about you, but he said, pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most people who don't even know the Lord are familiar that in the Bible, there are verses say there will be no sickness, no pain, no sorrow in heaven. So if he prayed your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then wait a minute. I mean, if you go through... I mean, the very last book of the Old Testament talks about, you know, people's health springing forth like a, a calf, you know, a young calf that comes out of a stall. And, and, and you, you can just read, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who heals all thy diseases, forgives all your iniquities. I read it backwards. Forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, delivers your life from destruction. The curse... Uh, for getting outside of the law was every sickness and every disease. But the Bible talks about Christ redeeming us from the curse of the law. So if you just start looking and people start saying things, what happens though is those things will get into people's lives and they'll go, well maybe it's not for me. Those people are disqualified to be speaking on such a matter. Amen, you're dismissed. All right, have a good day. Leave you with that. No, there are just people who are disqualified. I mean, there, in life there are things that disqualify us from all kinds of stuff. It used to be you take steroids and play baseball... You get disqualified. You with me? There are certain jobs you can't get if you are a felon. 
It disqualifies you. Why? They think your character may drive you to do something that could mess with this. In other words, we're not thinking we want you in the banking industry. Because you know how we want. Now, I do believe there's redemption. I believe there are people who can get saved like Paul in the Bible and be the best banker in the world. But that doesn't mean everybody who's a felon's character changed. And so in the mass, they go, well, you can't do this. They won't let them have a pilot's license. Why? Because they don't want them to fly down to Mexico and pick something up they shouldn't and bring it back. They, they become disqualified. There are some people who should be disqualified or we should know them and recognize they have no right to be speaking some of those things because they're just like we wouldn't give somebody the right who's a felon to do certain things, we shouldn't give them the right and just open our ears to hear the things some people are speaking. Because if, if faith is confidence, think of this, if faith is confidence, and faith is assurance, and I tell you, it's not God's will for everybody to have healing or to be healed or, you know, or to be saved. What does that do? It doesn't minister confidence. It leaves somebody not confident. You could say it like this. It robs people of faith. And if faith is the victory, the Bible said, that overcomes the world and all the junk in the world, then we need to realize some people are disqualified from sharing. And the only uh, thing that's going to give faith is going to be confidence. And when somebody said, well, God doesn't want everybody saved... God didn't pay for it for everybody. God didn't want everybody to be worry-free. God didn't want everybody to have a good, rich relationship. And it doesn't always come across that way. It's more subtle. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and there was a temptation that came, it was way more subtle. Because if the devil showed up at your house today with a red suit and a pitchfork, you'd go, ah, uh, get out of here. I am not answering. You can keep knocking, but I'm going back to watching TV. I'm going to be taking a nap, quit knocking on the door. You'd go, I got you. So it, the Bible said through his subtlety. So what did he do with Eve? He became very subtle. And he said, you know, God knows that if you do this, you're going to be missing out because you could be more like God. And God doesn't want, throws God into the equation. Man. Well, you know, maybe God, you know, he, he starts throwing stuff in. For what purpose? To get her to act outside of trust and confidence. That's really what happened. Instead of resisting that, she said, yeah, I could be wise. 
And the Lord said, no, it will hurt. No, no, I know better. And it wasn't just her coming up with these ideas. It was the enemy trying to rob her faith, to twist what God had said that would cause her to live in a fruitful, successful path. He tried to get her to go and him to go down a path that would be self-destructive because he couldn't destroy her and couldn't destroy him. He needed their cooperation. So instead of resisting, he just twisted. Just twisted. So instead of resisting and just being blatant, you know, and we need to recognize, we need to hold on to the truth. And sometimes these lies that get out there get people to let go of truths and they don't realize they're letting go. 1 Peter 5 tells us this. We didn't even read this. Verse 9, or verse 8. Be sober. What does that mean to be sober? Self-controlled, clear-minded. Be observant. Be vigilant. Be watchful. In other words, pay attention. For what? Why? You know, I was talking to somebody about driving the other day and, you know, and what you do to drive. And I was like, man, people who drive well really need to be vigilant. I mean, you see a car pulling to a, out of a driveway and they just stop right there. You pay attention up ahead and you go, are they going to pull out or not? Are they going to stop? They should. Don't get behind a van you can't see in front of. Back up a little bit. You're, being, you're trying to be as vigilant as possible. You come driving up to an intersection and you see the little hands start turning red and you're way back there. What do you do? You're being vigilant. You're going, that light's probably going to change. So what's the next step? Floor it. No. You, you get what I'm saying. You're thinking the whole thing through. I even do this. I mean, I don't know if they still teach people like this. You know, as soon as I'm not pushing on the gas, I move my foot over the brake. Because I can always go back to the brake, but if I, you know, I don't want to panic, and not that I'm going to because I won't, and hit the gas. I'd rather hit the brake. Are you with me while you're in traffic or something like that? And, you know, we... I just think through all kinds of things when I'm driving. I'm observant of everything around me. You're observing. How many people go through life and they're not that observant and they're wondering why there's accidents galore in their life? Oh, sorry, I shouldn't have gone there. But if we're traveling in a car, we, we would be very observant. We'd, we'd want to make sure we get charged up, get gas. We would work on the health of our car. Wouldn't we? Notice, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. This is huge. It tells us what we're to be observant of is some kind of roaring lion. 
I don't know about you. I, actually, I was talking to somebody the other day saying, oh, I was hiking in the Superstition Mountains. I heard a mountain lion one time, never seen one. And I said, you know how I knew it was? I said, because they chirp weird like a bird. I've heard them in the dark, and I heard them in the light, and then heard other noises. But notice it doesn't say he is a roaring lion. Well, how many of us have ever heard a roaring lion? Well, the enemy does roar. But notice this. He walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What does he want to do? Devour people. He wants people to live in fear, live in defeat. But he said this, Whom or him resist him steadfast in the faith or in your faith? How can you resist him? In your confidence, because we talked about that original miracle of the water and the wine. You are to put the word in yourself so that you can draw it out. And when you draw it out, you'll draw out what is a, called a force, which is called faith. And when we talk about resisting, we're talking about two forces meeting. But in case you get nervous, the force we meet the enemy in is called faith. It is a direct result of God's Word. God's Word is more powerful than the enemy. It's more sure. When Jesus faced the enemy, He had the Word in Him, and He made a, stood, a stand against Him, and He stood against Him, and guess how He won? Because He was God? Because He was the Son of God? Because He was pure? But wasn't he all those things? But what he did was he took the written word of God and used it against the enemy. And the enemy attempted. And this is something we need to realize because sometimes you say, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And somebody goes, I spoke one time. But Jesus spoke and then spoke again. Then the enemy twisted something from Scripture trying to entrap Jesus. Jesus spoke the word again. again. Then it said the enemy left him. What if you've had to wrestle with resisting a little bit? What if he didn't leave in three seconds? What if all of a sudden you find yourself tempted and you resist? Resist again. He will eventually leave you. Isn't it always nice that time when you go, Get in Jesus' name, and you walk away and you're like, Phew. You know, like you're some cowboy. You're like, Hallelujah. Then other times, like three days in, you're like, What's wrong with me? And what you may not realize is that what's wrong with me actually might just be another bullet he shot at you. To get you go, there's something wrong with you. But then, you know, man, 
Anybody ever been tempted with something or pressured for two, three days? And you're like, what's going on here? But if you stand your ground, all of a sudden it goes and you're like, where was that? Anybody ever been there? Where'd that go? You know, then all of a sudden you're floating along through life thinking, man, hallelujah, Jesus. This is the greatest thing ever. Nobody's ever been there. You should see some of the looks on people's faces. I've been there. Well, Jesus was there, and he didn't, he didn't just go one time and go, stop, leave, and it left. It, he resisted steadfast, and it left. He told us, resist him steadfast in your faith. In other words, in your confidence. Make sure to realize you can resist him, and he will flee from you. And I mean in any area of life. But what we do is we use the force of faith or truth because the truth will always prevail. That's why we hide it in our heart and then we draw it out. Sometimes resisting is not always pushing away either. Sometimes resisting is holding on to something. You know, if, an, if somebody came and tried to steal somebody's phone out of their hand, you, you'd hold on. Wouldn't you? What are you? You're resisting them. Sometimes what people need to do when they're resisting the enemy is hold on to the truth. Hold on to the truth. No, he said I'm healed. He didn't say I'm going to be healed. He said I was healed. He didn't say I'm going to be delivered. He said I am delivered. But the enemy will tell you, well, someday it'll happen. And God says it belongs to you, actually. Do you know Abraham, who is the father of our faith? And we're going to close with this thought right here. Remember Abraham? Good old Abe? Father of our faith. The one whose faith we're to follow. We know he couldn't have a child. We know his wife couldn't have a child. God had given him a promise that someday this is going to happen in your life. Genesis 12. He's 70-something years old. It's about 75, or yeah, 75-ish or so. 20-something years later, the promise has never happened. And God changed the wording about his situation and then when he agreed within a short time, within that year, and it takes nine months to have a baby, so within a three-month period, 25 years before, now within a short time, all of a sudden he's walking in something because of his faith. The Bible tells us where to follow his faith. You want to know what changed? Thank you for that, yes. So, then I'll talk to him about it. No, 
Here's what changed. God said, I'm going to do this sometime for you. 25 years later, the Lord changed the wording and said, I've actually already done this for you. Romans said that God called those things that did not appear as though it was true already. When we go tell people about salvation, we tell them it already exists for you. God's not going to do anything about it. It's already provided. You need to agree. You need to accept it. And so what did God do? He said, I have already made you the father of many nations. So Abraham changed his name from that day, and within a couple of months, his wife is now pregnant when he is 99 years old, and she's up in her 90s too. Shouldn't have a baby. Couldn't have a baby. And I'm not saying, you know, people are, that are beyond the years of having a child, you know, that's what you want, but you may want something else. And what did he do? He changed his name. He started doing what God did, actually. He started saying, I have this now. This belongs to me now. If you read what people call promises in the New Testament... Actually, the majority of the time, they're not promises. They're actually statements of fact that it's already paid for. So what would be wise if we were going to stand in faith? We should say what God says about us, not that we're going to get it, but that it belongs to us today.